Hello and welcome to Barbatos Catholic Podcast, the show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. We are your hosts, Gustavo and Walter, and today we are going to chat with AJ Enfield about Thomas Aquinas. But first, a word from our sponsor. And our sponsor today happens to be um, 50% of the operation, <laughs> our guest is 50% of the operation of our sponsor, Inkle2. Coffee and podcast. Can you tell us a little bit more about Inkle Do, AJ? Absolutely, yeah. So thank you guys for having us on. Uh, well, having me on as a representative of us, I guess is the way to go there with you that. Go. That works. Uh, but yeah, Inkle Do podcast and coffee is me and my cousin Brandon. Uh, he roasts delicious coffee, um, and our goal is to combine this idea of delicious beverages and meaningful conversation. And we would love to help you provide both of those things by giving you some coffee as your delicious beverage and listen to our podcast and see if that gives you some uh, starters for some meaningful conversations. Nice. That's Where they awesome. can go to buy coffee? Inkledew.com. That's I-N-K-L-E-D-E-U-X.com. Why? Because we like being complicated. <laughs> I mean, Barbatos Catholic Podcast. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah we're, but, we're on brand. We're on brand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, check them out, inkledew.com. Um, they're nine rings blend and uh, fifth love mm -hmm. blends. They're fantastic. They're pretty good. And um, we, um, we are not just uh, saying it to say it. We are also customers of Inkledew. So um, how long have you guys been doing the, the podcast now? Uh, so the podcast, we're about three years in. Wow. And then coffee has been going that same amount of time, but... Brandon had actually been doing coffee under another company before that. Um, so he's got years of practice with the roasting and everything. So nice. he's really, really got it figured out at this point. That's sweet. Nice. Yeah. It shows. It shows. That's awesome. Well, um, thank you for coming today to to hang out with us and, and having a, hopefully a meaningful, meaningful conversation. Um The, uh, the reason why we brought you here is because January 28th is St. Thomas Aquinas Feast Day, and we wanted to have someone who was like slightly more eloquent than us to, <laughs> to talk about. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can live up to that. A well, lot you know. more eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> like, Gustavo and I were like, ah, Thomas Aquinas. I know Thomas Aquinas is really important, but I don't know, I don't know why, why necessarily. <laughs> I know that Matt Fred really likes him. He's a big fan. He's yeah, that's very fan. true. Um, but other than that, it's like, I okay. shouldn't know all these things. Maybe have somebody to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I love about the podcast format, you know, that is like, you don't need necessarily need to be a, an expert, but having people on that edify you and you can learn from, that's really, really beneficial for me. You know, oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the beautiful things about podcasts is the idea that it's just so accessible. This idea that, Um, there's an open seat at the table for a lot of people who there probably wouldn't be otherwise mm -hmm. for these kinds of conversations. And so you don't necessarily have to be like Dr. Peter Kraft or anything like that <laughs> to be able to get into a philosophical discussion. Yeah. Because it's going to be some steps before you get there. You just have to be roommates with a guy that did uh, three, four years of philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, <clears throat> I did spend three years at seminary as a philosophy major. And then shortly thereafter, moved in with Walter, uh, who graciously let me pay rent based on what my salary was as a part-time youth minister out in the West Valley. Uh, 
in exchange for a lower rent, I did have to deal with him making fun of my Spanish practice. That's that's actually true. <laughs> Los soldados no, no son poetas. <laughs> uh, Duolingo had some fancy phrases on there, and yeah, <clears throat> every oh, now know. and then Walter pops his head out of the out of his bedroom to see me in the living room. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I was like, this is bicicletas, son verdes. <laughs> I was so yeah. He's, he's trying. It's, it's um. The, well, the thing is, like, most of our conversation conversations, um, more often than not, would, like, end up discussing uh, philosophy and, and theology. I was like, AJ, why are there are other religions in the world? Uh, you know, like, yep. very basic kind of things. It was, like, 2013 that we were roommates? Yeah, yeah. It would have been, uh, like, the fall of 2012 into the spring of 2013, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and it was... Um, it was great for me because when I'm kind of introducing myself to people, one of the first things that I normally start off with is I'm just sort of a massive nerd in general. Like whether we're talking about sports, whether we're talking about philosophy, religion, whatever it is, like I, I really enjoy geeking out on it and going deep. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I really enjoyed those conversations. And the other part of it that was great for me is that Walter and I need him to pay pretend he's not listening to this right now because I don't want his head swelling or anything. He's a really, really intelligent guy, but he also does a really good job of keeping things kind of grounded in reality Uh to where like, if I start going off on some stuff and he's like, okay, but why does that matter? Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, you know what? Actually, (laughs) it probably does. I don't don't know, but let me open another beer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That was usually the case. Um, you know, it's funny that it's, we're going to ping pong a little bit on the topics here, but I think that it is like super funny that you ended up uh, partnering with your cousin to um, sell coffee because like you hated coffee with with passion. Oh, yeah. You know, like you and your sock water. This and that. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It was I just it was dirty water. That's all it was. I remember going on a retreat. We were both helping uh, our buddy Zach. And Zach insisted that I had to have some coffee because how do you survive a retreat without it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll have some. He was like, oh, let me put some cream and sugar in there. I was like, no, I already know I like cream and sugar. Why would I do that? I want to know if I like coffee. (laughs) Oh, this is terrible. So you like the cream and sugar. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Cream and sugar is delicious. How are you going to go wrong with dairy and sugar? Um, But it was one of those things. Like It was a much, much longer time to figure out that like coffee was something that I could enjoy than it probably should have been largely because pride is a real thing for me. And so once I had told everyone that I hated coffee, uh-huh. you, you were going to stick with stand. it. Yes. Yeah, you were going to stick with it. Oh man. That's the, I will never get tired of telling that story or like asking you about it. So th- there's, there's no one, there's one thing that um, you and Brandon uh, call yourselves in, and that is uh, uh, blue collar scholars. Did you coin that term? Actually, no, that was Brandon. And uh, I love him for it. Like, his, it's a really good way to kind of describe what, we're, what we try to do. Mm-hmm. And kind of going back to what we were just talking about with our conversations, this idea of, you know, the idea of a blue collar scholar, not someone who's necessarily fully invested in reading hundreds of books, but you don't have to be. Like, your lived experience and things like that can be part of the formation required to have some of these conversations and that deserves a seat at the table. So people who are thinking about serious and meaningful things, 
but maybe don't necessarily feel like they have the background to be engaging in the conversations with confidence. It's like, well, no, you actually should. And so that's kind of where we're coming from. He also, he studied uh, theology and philosophy a little bit before he switched to ASU and ended up in a uh, uh, career that, I mean, a major that would lead to a career where you could make money as opposed to, you know, philosophy, Mm -hmm. which I always joke, having a degree in philosophy means I'm qualified to ask the really important questions. Like, would you like fries with that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you going to enjoy this in the car? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love some in and out. Um, Okay. So how, how much Aquinas did did you study in seminary as part of the the philosophy. Course. So a lot. Um, one of the things that was really kind of cool about the way the program was set up at the Josephinum is that it was a very Thomistic approach to philosophy in terms of when we would study ancient philosophy, it was largely looking at how this was kind of building towards Thomas. Uh-huh. And when we looked at uh, a lot of modern philosophy, a lot of times it was looking at kind of what had been lost in the time since Thomas. Um, and sometimes it probably was a little bit overly simplistic, uh, in its approach, but it was very heavily Thomas influenced in pretty much all the classes. Um, there were probably a couple of exceptions, but none that I remember, which tells you something about how impactful they were. Uh, yeah, no, the Thomas really provides kind of the framework, not necessarily the idea that everything he said is 100% what we're going with in every class, Mm -hmm. but he provides a really solid foundation and starting point for the conversations. Because one of the things that made him so incredible is that he expressed the objections to the things that he was claiming better than a lot of the people he was arguing with did. (laughs) You know, you hear about the idea of people making straw man arguments where they like intentionally weaken somebody's argument just so they can knock it down and feel really smart. Mm Mm-hmm. One of my uh, priestly professors at the seminary talked about how Thomas, instead, he did steel man arguments steel where man. he would do everything he could to make the argument as strong as possible so that he knew when he knocked it down, mm-hmm. it was actually, it was done. There's no coming back from this. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that I, in, in the, one of the articles that I did, like a little bit of uh, research for for this episode said that uh, he loved debating mm-hmm. like um in universities at the time i think he went to university of paris at some point yeah and um the faculty would like just be in in like one of these common areas and people would just like go and debate mm-hmm. professors prof- debate ideas and, and whatnot mm-hmm. and uh that some of these professors wouldn't like they would dodge like the the hard or difficult questions, um, but the way that the Summa Theologiae is uh, structured is basically a debate. You know, for for every uh, proposal that he has, he has the counter arguments mm-hmm. and then the pro arguments. I guess. Yeah. So he actually he the way, and this is part of why I think Thomas is coming back so strong and why there is so much kind of reference to Thomas happening again now is because the content for one thing is incredible, but that's always been true. But I think one of the things that's really kind of connecting with people now and helping them is 
the fact that there is this kind of set format to how he does it. And it makes it very easy to kind of follow the points that he's making. Cause he does, he'll start off with a question and then he will, he'll start off with the answer he disagrees with being the one put forward. And he'll say, it seems that, you know, so is it possible to know that God exists? And he'll say, it seems that it is impossible to know for certain that God exists. And then he'll list out all these different reasons and then he'll do the, the said contra. But on the other hand, that's when he comes in and he like piece by piece takes apart each of those arguments before giving kind of his conclusive statement of, therefore, we can know that God exists because of this, this and this. And it's such a systematic and straightforward approach. And I think in a world that has become increasingly kind of relativistic in its approach to everything uh, and isolationist too. Mm-hmm. Like instead of we don't really like to engage with the other side. So to have someone who starts off by saying, well, you know, no, actually there's good reasons to think this way. You know, if we look at this, this, and this, and then comes back and with complete honesty uh, and simplicity, really, I mean, which I know is a hard thing to say about philosophy, but he really does. Like he's very kind of simple in his approach to it where he says, but that's ignoring this thing. And so because of this, this argument doesn't hold water, which leaves us with this as the truth. And the Summa Theologia is basically a big referendum of like the presence of God, right? It breaks it down to, to can, can you just boil down a little bit what the Summa Theologia is and its significance? So the Summa Theologia is, it's the sum of all theology. Like literally it was basically set out to be uh, a complete catechesis explaining everything from the existence of God up through the sacraments and all these kinds of things. It never ended up being completed. Like it's broken down in different books with different sections. It never did end up being totally completed, but so it really, it's incredibly comprehensive. And so um, for the questions about God's existence and some of the most famous things that we know from Thomas comes from his first book, which is on kind of like natural theology. Mm -hmm. What can we know about God? Uh, relying primarily on our senses rather than on revelation. And so that's where you get like the five arguments for the existence of God Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, But yeah, no, trying to sum up what it is, is the the whole thing was supposed to be a summary of all that it, that uh, all that there is in the science of the study of God. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he mentions that he's, it would be a work for like beginners. (laughs) Like, Right, that's honestly like trying to read the Summa Theologia is like kind of, uh, you know, daunting. Mm-hmm. You look at it; it's like reading uh, Augustine's Confessions. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, it's next that, level stuff. You yeah, know, it's like you have but, to be uh, an intellectual. But from from what I read, you know, and and listened to a couple of uh, videos on it, it's like Thomas knew that we have the capacity to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of like him trying to boil it down for the Joe Schmo, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's incredible how some of these themes obviously um, play out in different facets, right? But one that really struck me was St. Joseph in Paquita. The fact that she said, you know, seeing the sun, the moon, and the stars, I said to myself, who could be the master of these beautiful things? I felt a great desire to see him, to know him, and to pay him homage. So even somebody uh, like centuries after, right, mm-hmm. we still have that inkling of like 
connecting to something greater, even though we don't fully comprehend it. Yeah. And what's really, I think, I think what makes it so incredible that St. Thomas did put so much time and energy into answering some of these questions is that if you think about it, he really did kind of live in a, a time and place where he could have been forgiven for taking a lot of it for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, he was living in a Europe that was Catholic. Like, they're, yeah. you really didn't have an option. Yeah. They were starting to come into contact with some of the, the Moors and some of the Islamic uh, states to the east and the south. But for the most part, like, the idea of questioning the existence of God was not a common thing. It was like 12th century, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're 12th, 13th century. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, I think it's 1200s. Yeah, but he, like, it was a time where the idea that he would take so seriously the idea of defending the concept of God's existence and the ability to know it, which tend to be questions <clears throat> that we associate with much earlier, like mm. the Greek skeptics and things like that, or much later with like Descartes and the various Enlightenment thinkers who all became convinced that knowing anything is a completely impossible task. Well, it became a, a, a thing of faith versus reason, mm-hmm. right? And the, the Greeks were more in tune with the reasoning and, and, and Aristotle and all these things. And on the other side, you know, I, I don't remember who said the quote, like, what does Greece have to do with Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. You know, but the fact that Jerusalem was the epicenter of faith, essentially— but it, they were never in conflict. You know, I think that's what Thomas was trying to really boil it down to is like, no, they exist within each other, you know? Well, wait, but I think that Plato was very influential before Thomas. And then Thomas started to bring Aristotelian. Pretty much, yeah. So um, really that same contact with some of the Islamic states is actually what brought Aristotle back to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of... Aristotle's texts and things had either fallen into disuse or been lost kind of to the sands of time. But Plato had still been a really big deal. And he was a huge influence on like St. Augustine in the early days of the church and everything. Uh, And so with Thomas, as he was getting access to Aristotle, there were a lot of people who kind of going back to that idea of what does Greece have to do with Jerusalem? Like, well, what do we need this for? Mm -hmm. And Thomas was like, well, I don't know, maybe we should look. Yeah. And he did. And he found a lot of things that he felt were um, some of the the heresies that had kind of sprung up that had a lot to do with like the, that separation of matter and spirit and the idea that one is evil and one is good mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. A lot of that kind of naturally flows from Plato's thoughts because he's got this, I, there's the form, the ideal reality of the thing. And then there's the the matter, the way we encounter it in the world, which is just an imperfect, messed up version of it. And Thomas was like, well, but Aristotle talks about the idea that these two things are actually united, that the, the form has to exist within, the universal has to exist within the particular. And I think that's a helpful thought. I think that can help us avoid some of these mistakes. And from there, he basically, Thomas has that, uniquely saintly gift of true humility mm-hmm. where, you know, cause he quotes in the Summa Plato, Aristotle, great Christian thinkers, and also some of the great Jewish and Muslim like philosophers of the time as well. 
or from the centuries past as well. Like anything that he found that pointed towards truth and was useful for explaining the realities of God, he was like, oh, okay, cool. This will work. Got it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So um, you were in seminary like 2010. Yeah, 2009 through 2012 um, for three years of uh, what they call college seminary, which Mm -hmm. is just my undergrad work. So I left with a, I really wanted it to be a BS in philosophy, but instead Uh it's it's one of the arts and not the sciences, which is mildly upsetting just because (laughs) I always liked the joke about having a BS in BS. But (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, okay, so we're talking about like maybe like 12 years ago and and maybe even further than that, um, seminaries um, teaching or forming uh, future priests in Mm -hmm. Thomistic philosophy. Um, I read that, um, kind of Thomistic philosophy was put aside after Vatican II and, and that didn't give a lot of details why, but I know like, you know, Dr. Peter Crift and, uh, uh, Matt Frad, mm-hmm. they're like very interested in bringing it back and it's kind of like making a comeback in, in, you know, it's Bishop Barron's hero. Yep. Mm-hmm. So can, can you speak to that a little bit? Um, so I think part of what happened is, um, the, the chaos that comes in the immediate aftermath and at the time of a council is just part of it is the idea of, I was listening to, um, the, the pillar Catholic podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about this idea of like, Vatican II will probably not actually be a settled thing until there's no one with an actual living memory of being there at the council Mm. because there's too much of that ability to remember your specific conversations you were having with your specific people and coming up with the idea that that is what the purpose of the entire council was. And so I think this idea of people who not always with malicious intent uh, or perhaps not even intent at all kind of hijack aspects of a council and run with it. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of modernizing. And I think part of it is that the modern world has been very kind of dismissive of the scholastic period in general of the middle ages and Thomas kind of as the uh, sort of front man for it. And so I think there was a desire to try and respond with something that the culture would find more credible. And since Mm -hmm. the culture was kind of dismissing Thomas, okay, then we need to go ahead and leave Thomas alone as well for now. You know, he was always still kind of talked about very respectfully and very reverently. But yeah, I think uh, in the years since then, I think part of what's happened is that we've, number one, realized there was a reason he was the basis for so much for so long. um, Where a lot of... Uh, so like the work of JP two and, uh, St. Edith Stein and some of these other people and their philosophy was not necessarily heavily Thomistic, but it still took Thomas as kind of a base Hmm. and they focused on some different ways of coming to the knowledge, but the questions they were asking were the same and they still looked to and cited Thomas and some of his answers and that recognition that we can't really engage with the world on purely scientific terms. 
Mm-hmm. And so we need to go back to the idea that there is this underlying truth um, that our, our senses are one way to come to know truth, but they're not the only tool we have and not the only tool we should use. You could go through your entire life trying to fix everything with a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could. And there are a lot of things that you'd probably be able to do kind of well enough. But you know what? If you had a hammer, it'd probably help a lot more on some of them mm-hmm. or a wrench and those kinds of things. And I think that's part of the the realization that came back is that we have this incredible variety of tools available to us in the Catholic tradition to help us know the truth, explain the truth, understand the truth and defend the truth. And for decades, at least, we were fighting with one hand tied behind our back Mm -hmm. because we just refused to use it. And I think the Dominican uh, order, uh, for for obvious reasons, you know, love for one of their own, uh, has done a really good job of just sort of pointing out, hey, this question that you're all struggling with, you know who did a pretty good job wrestling with this question at one point? <laughs> this guy. Our guy, Thomas Aquinas. This dude. Tommy Bai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You remember that guy we called the angelic doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he might reason. have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, I love how you say it because that's like very you. Uh, <laughs> hey, remember this thing that we already explained? In this book over here that is gathering dust, maybe yeah. we should open it and read a little bit. <laughs> it could help. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, for the longest time, I, th- I thought that Thomas Aquinas was French, but he was not. He was Italian. Italian. right? Mm-hmm. He studied in France, uh, but uh, I thought it was uh, one of the, the, the things that I found about his life is that he... Um, or his family rather wanted him to become like the abbot of Monte Cassino, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like the most famous monastery of St. Benedict founded yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Um, you know, to add like another uh, check mark, right? Check mark to the family yes. uh, pedigree or whatever. But, in, but instead it's like, well, I'm just going to go with these hippies, yeah. Dominicans that are like beggars and preachers. <laughs> it's like, I can go to the other beggars that are the Franciscans, but ah, I'm just going <laughs> to preach the word of God. Yeah. So I thought that it was funny how it was like, I, I would never like think of Tom as like a, a rebellious kind of men. But at the time it's like, okay, what was the decision? It's like, no, I am not going to go to the Benedictines. I'm going to follow this other order. Well, they actually uh, kidnapped them, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's great because like the, the funny thing is I think, Thomas would agree with you and say that he was not rebellious. Like it was just one of those things. Like he wasn't doing it to be rebellious. He was doing it because, Oh, it's the right thing to do. God trumps mom and dad. Sorry guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like, (laughs) and so because he was one of the things that is phenomenal about him and the story of his kidnapping kind of highlights it too, is as brilliant as he was, he also had this kind of perpetual innocence to him. And so like, if, if he had viewed it as being an act of rebellion against his parents, there's no doubt he wouldn't have joined the Dominicans. Mm. But he didn't see it that way. It was, oh, my parents are in agreement that the religious life is where I should be. Uh, and it feels that God is calling me to the Dominicans. So I guess I'll go there. But yeah, they weren't happy about it. And so they wanted to try and, you know, block him from being able to pursue this vocation. And so they basically, his brothers, like, 
kidnapped him and locked him in a room with a prostitute. Like there basically trying to be like, as brothers do. I mean, <laughs> if you have brothers, right? I mean, who hasn't gone through that? Who, who among us has not kidnapped a sibling <laughs> and then tried? To, okay, no, never mind. I'm not going any further with that analogy. Um, but yeah, no, like it's they they did that to try and you know block him from being able to do that and hopefully kind of shame him to where he would stay and do where, mm-hmm. wherever they sent him. Uh, instead, Thomas, this like slow, very methodical person, not in what we would consider athletic shape or condition, grabs a hot poker out of the fire and like drives the woman away and then goes back and joins the Dominicans. Like, there you go. Yeah, I think he carved a, a, a cross on the door. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> I, so I, I don't remember. I guess you can go back. I, I don't remember the, uh, <laughs> the order on it, like whether he drove her out first and then put the cross on the door to like, try and prevent his brothers from trying anything stupid like that again. Whether he put the cross on the door as like a warning, you should get out of here because this is a holy place. And Next time it's your back lady. Yeah, no, it, she definitely, she seems to have read it that way. Cause she took yeah. off running either way, mm-hmm. right. which again, to be fair, if someone in a closed space with you grabs a hot poker out of the fire and starts waving it around, I'm not going to ask a whole lot of questions. No, yeah, I'm out. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah, real uh, quick. I'm out. Fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, what you said about not not being um, athletic is, I think, that's one of the things that I'm like, Thomas, you're like my guy. It's like I can relate to to someone being, um, you know, slow and maybe 300 pounds. You know, this, from what I have read, he uh, there was one one uh, story about him walking everywhere instead of going uh, on a donkey because the Dominicans had donkeys donkeys instead of horses to spare the donkey, mm-hmm. which I think is like very noble that he would just walk instead of using the donkey because he knew that he was heavy set, you know? Yeah, he was, uh, he was just in general, a very, very sweet man. And um, he had a reputation for um, like, Again, being very kind of naive and trusting as well type of mm-hmm. thing. Like he he just sort of assumed the best out of everyone. And so there's one story that's kind of like apocryphal. Like we don't know if it really happened or not, but uh, something about some of his brothers when he was a novice. So his brothers in the Dominicans, not the ones who kidnapped him. No. Uh, <laughs> Religious brothers. Right. There we go. But like making some comment about uh, a pig flying out the window as they were like trying to mock his naivete and he went over to take a look and they were making fun of him for believing it. And his response was something to the effect of, I would much rather be a fool for believing that pigs would fly than be, uh, be believing that my, my brothers would dare to lie to me. Wow. And it was like, yikes. Okay. All right. Well, off to confession. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) so these jokes are pretty much done now. I think. Yeah. Um, my party pooper <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> that definitely killed the mood for sure all right no more jokes for thomas <laughs> so um one of the uh the you know kids are mean mm-hmm. and and kids when thomas was uh, a little boy were mean as well so they they called him the dumb ox poor thing like i i have like 
pity for little Thomas. I just like, I just want to hug him and be like, everything's going to be all right, you know? But um, he was he was studying under St. Albert the Great, mm-hmm. which that's a whole, we could do like a whole different oh, yeah. podcast on St. Albert the Great. But um, he prophesied uh, to those kids, well, he didn't know that he was prophesying, but he told those kids that the bellowing of the dumb ox will be heard around the world. I think that's a beautiful revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it's, it's one of those things, too. I, as a teacher, I love the story because the reason his classmates called him a dumb ox was because he didn't participate much in class. Like he didn't speak out. He wasn't one of the kids like yeah. sharing a bunch of the answers. But what St. Albert the Great realized was that he was quiet because he was contemplative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like introspective, was, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. When he wasn't just taking in information to spit it back out, he was taking everything in and actually mm-hmm. taking his time processing it and all of that. And so that as a teacher for me, I love that story because it's a big reminder for me to remember that like, you've got to find multiple ways to kind of evaluate where a person's at in terms of their understanding. Thomas was never dumb. Like it was purely a matter of he was, I guess, sort of dumb in the traditional sense and that he didn't speak mm-hmm. like, and so made himself an easy target again as a, I, I'm assuming he was probably always a larger lad. Mm-hmm. And so like he was kind of an easy target for his classmates anyway. And then he was very quiet. Um, But yeah, like there is something beautiful about the idea of one of his teachers, a saint no less, being the one to recognize that, oh, no, 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 this is a case of still waters running deep rather Mm -hmm. than a stagnant pond. Yeah. That's super interesting because it's just like uh, personality wise and and, uh, what's the word that I'm trying to think of? not the not the uh, the character, but you can you can be the character if you work on. Um, what is that the uh, the quiz that I sent you and Ivan to see? Like if you were a sandwich. temperament, temperament. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 temperament of um, Thomas Aquinas. Like I would love to figure out what kind of. I don't think he was melancholic or. I uh, you know or something. Like that. I've taken so many of those quizzes, yeah. but I don't remember what any of them mean. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. This is, and you can probably get like different results from anyone that you did. Sure. Each one that you take. Mm-hmm. But um, besides the point, you know, that sometimes I guess the moral of the story is if someone is quiet, don't assume that they're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, again, like even just sort of more broad than that, like don't make assumptions about like why a person is where they're at. Yeah. The way like, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, who who knows? Who knows what's happening uh, in their lives, where they're coming from, what they're dealing with, and how they're approaching it. Much better to actually, I don't know, again, going back to that idea of meaningful conversations that we had mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Maybe talk to them, figure yeah. some stuff out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we have been talking about the Summa, but we know that it's not in, it's not complete. So there's there's the the first part, and there's the second part that is actually broken down into two parts Mm -hmm. there there was supposed to be a third part but why didn't he not finish it Uh, i love this story so much so saint thomas when he while he was still working on the text he was also a man of deep and devout prayer and so he was 
this was reported by one of his brothers at the time who did like a biography on him shortly after his passing, uh, talking about the idea that he had gone by the chapel late one night and heard Thomas and someone else speaking in the chapel. And apparently Thomas was having an ecstatic vision like of God revealed to him in the Eucharist. And, you know, the Lord spoke to him and said, you know, Thomas, my son, you have written well of me. What would you have as your reward? And Thomas's response was uh, only yourself, Lord. And afterwards he came out of the chapel and said, in comparison to what I have seen, all that I have written is as so much straw. Mm-hmm. And to keep in mind what straw was used for at the time, it was like bedding and like the the corner of the room that was the toilet as the absorbent material for it. And so it's like he was saying that this summa that he had been working on, his life's work, this thing that got God to speak to him and say, you have written well of me, my son. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, being in God's presence, everything that I've done is just as so much straw. And so he did continue to work on it. But like, you know, the fervor for it wasn't there as strong anymore. Uh, and his, I, I believe he was, he didn't live terribly long after that experience. Um, but yeah, and I just, the other thing I love about God appearing to him and saying, what would you have as your reward of me? Uh, I think it's really interesting that, I can only think of two people who God has given like that blank check to, Mm -hmm. you know, King Solomon and uh, St. Thomas. And I think it's really telling that God definitely knows who he's asking because both of them give great answers. Yeah, Like if God appeared to me tonight and asked me that, even having just had this conversation about how perfect St. Thomas's answer was, I'm not super confident that's going to be mine. <laughs> like God knows better than to put me in that position. Porsche. Definitely Porsche yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, That'd be sweet. You know, uh, if the next time the Powerball gets up over like a billion, if you could just go ahead and let that come my way, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but like the people who he chooses instead, you know, choose wisdom in the case of Solomon. Solomon. And – Aquinas with an even better answer. Yeah, only yourself. Yourself, Lord. Just yourself. What more could I ask for other than you? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to see that his life's work paid off, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's that's what we all want, right? To to be face-to-face with God and say, I just want to be in your presence forever. You know? Can you imagine if we have a vision of God and it's like, you have podcasted well about me? Oh. <laughs> I'd probably still go with the Porsche. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but no, I mean, the, the fact that his life's work, here's, here's a good lesson, right? I mean, for all those listeners out there that sometimes we get too much into our own head, into our work. Mm-hmm. Is like, well, just put things into perspective a little yeah. bit, right? For him, everything went by the wayside when he was greeted, you know, and in the presence of God. Um, so totally, very telling, very telling. And, and it's a very good lesson, you know, for to, to hear that answer. It really puts things into perspective. And it shows that he maintained the right approach to his work too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be it honest. was never about him. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. if, I, if I were to try and write a book 
summarizing even one small part of theology, I am absolutely writing it, in part at least, for the great five-star reviews on Amazon from people sure. like loving my book and telling me how smart I am. <laughs> and I want to hear from all these people talking to me about coming on these podcasts. Impact. Yeah, exactly. You know, getting invited onto podcasts like Barbatus for my <laughs> yeah, contributions and things. The, the media, the media uh, tour, you know, exactly. You exactly. Go. The junket. But for him, it was like, it was purely about serving God. And once he realized he had done that, it okay. was good. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite quote from t- Thomas Aquinas? Ooh, let's see. So it's hard for me to narrow it down to a quote because I, I tend to think of him in like chunks. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my favorite quote would be the one about only yourself, Lord. Mm. Uh, but if like the, the one that always I kind of come back to with him the most is we mentioned him just sort of briefly earlier, the the five proofs for the existence of God. Mm. Because I've spent the last seven years now teaching theology to like fifth graders and now up through juniors in high school. And it's kind of one of those things where it has been on the top three of my most useful tools in terms of talking to students about God. Because it's like, no, 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 look, we'll talk about the Bible later. Let's just talk purely in terms of the way the world works, these things we can all see. Mm -hmm. And then after I've gone through this, you tell me whether you think it makes sense to believe that there is a God or not. And then we can go from there. And so it really, he does an incredible job of, again, just setting that baseline where a conversation can happen. Because so often, especially now teaching high school students, you walk in and they want to resist. They want to push back on it. A lot of them have been in Catholic school their entire life. They've never had the opportunity to resist. And now they've got a teacher standing up there telling them, I want all of your questions. Give them all to me. Let's Mm -hmm. go. Like, all right, well, let's see how you feel about this when we get real on it. And so being able to be like, okay, no. Yeah, go ahead. Question God's existence. But actually question it. Mm -hmm. Don't just say you're questioning it as an excuse to be lazy and not actually think about it anymore. If you're really questioning it, let me put out these pieces of evidence. And if you can't argue against them. Yeah. I feel like you've got to give me at least this as a starting point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's how, awesome. How many of those students have you encountered? <laughs> um, it's tough to say because it's one of those things where in each class, there's probably just a couple of students who will actually ask the question. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bunch of them who are thinking it and not willing to say it out loud because uh, yeah. they're still more afraid of consequences than they are insistent on establishing their own independence now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've definitely had a few and I won't say that there are a lot of them who I have converted by that, but I will say that I I've seen a lot of hearts open to the possibility because of Got it. Well, praise be to God. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Well, I don't think we're going to get any better than that. that. Let's just close on that. And I uh, want to thank you so much for, Coming over, AJ, it's been a so, wonderful time. So maybe one quick last thing. Um, if somebody's going to want to like get like a Thomas Aquinas for Dummies book, mm. you know, as an introductory, what would you recommend? Um, so Dr. Peter Kraft, uh, he kind of borrowing from that sort of Thomistic tradition as mm-hmm. well, is really, really good at make sure you're getting one of his intro books. 
Because like when he's writing something intentionally as an introductory level thing, he does really, really good at keeping it at that level. Yeah. Um, or my personal favorite author uh, is G.K. Chesterton, and he did a biography on St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chesterton is incapable of not engaging in some philosophy on the side on any topic he's writing about. And so he does a pretty good job. And if you enjoy reading sarcasm, the G.K. Chesterton book is the way to go. He's really, really good at writing sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, totally. So now we need an intro book onto Chesterton to read the intro book into Thomas. We're going to have to bring AJ back to talk about Chesterton. Oh, you're, you're speaking my language. Can, can you imagine? We talked about like the, uh, the possibility of having a St. G.K. Chesterton oh, for sure. one day. Yeah, the the cause was opened, it. and like I'm hopeful. Um, I'm I'm not. I don't expect it to be a quick process. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe not in our lifetime, but well, we'll but see. if we can get him up to a that- servant of God status, at least I'll yeah. still have so many like little holy cards that I'm handing out to all of my students for the rest of my life. <laughs> can you imagine like GK and Thomas and Heaven just like shooting it you know it's like a couple just talking a couple big dudes just sitting big there dudes chatting. like taking taking a big part of heaven up well but that was the main reason why we we thought that it yeah. would be great because you know like G.K. yeah Chester is like rotund uh-huh. kind of guy so walking around with his stogie and, right. and his gun <laughs> yeah you know to defend his bride if needed uh, yep i love it yeah it's beautiful he would fit in here in arizona uh <laughs> <laughs> This big <laughs> trench coat. Mm-hmm. That, that part, trench coat. he'd yeah. probably lose weight with that trench coat in the summer, dude. Yeah. Okay. Next episode. That's for sure. Um, all right. Well, inkledew.com. I N K L E D E U X. That's the one. Yep. Um, and on all the social medias, it's at inkledew as well. Same spelling, obviously. Um, because again, we like to make it complicated, but not that complicated. We're not yeah. going to change up the spelling on you for each other. Uh, each are still going to find it eventually. It's just and, like and that coffee yeah. that AJ was talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try a Google search on that later and just see what happens. That's going to. You need to tell me what happens. We can do this after we, we finish rolling. But um, for now, uh, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Barbatos Catholic Podcast, a show where two Mexican dads talk about faith, life, and culture. If you like the podcast or got something out of this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Subscribe, like, comment, rate, review, turn the bell on. You know the drill. Um, if you haven't, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can buy us a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash and follow the instructions. We cannot guarantee that we're going to buy coffee with it. We might buy alcohol with it, but, alcohol with it, but you know, you still get a shout out if, if you... Um, we'll buy some Kahlua. We'll buy some Kahlua. There we go. And, and, and well, if you don't like the podcast, well, just keep it to yourself and let others make their own mistakes. You can find the show notes for this episode at barbatoscatholicpodcast.com. And on social media, we are on Instagram at barbatoscatholicpodcast. And bless us, Casey. Pray, pray for, for us. us. Until the next time.